Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. My assignment this afternoon comes from the book of Numbers, the 22nd chapter. This is one of those sermons I would ask you to listen to every word because of the importance of the things I'm going to express. Not that the other sermons are not important, but some messages are more needful in certain contexts and seasons. And this is one of those. Listen with your heart, not your mind. Because of the times we are living in. We are living in one of the most destructed times of human history, spiritually. The spiritual realm is full of so much confusion and ambiguity, which you'll all agree with me has been a deliberate work of the enemy, Lucifer because he knows that his time is coming soon. Hell has never been aggressive as it is in this time. And if Christ tarry, I see that the days coming ahead are going to reveal worse and worse. So it's important for me to be able to explain these things to settle in your heart to keep your consecrations and preserve what God has wrought by you. I think that's what John says, that let us labor that we lose not the things that we have wrought that we might have or receive a full reward because you can lose your testimony. You can lose your steadfastness. You can lose your commitment. This is John saying, look to yourselves that we lose not those things we have wrought. That the sacrifices and time that you have given to the things of God will redound to progress and uh, propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ through you to the world. This is a time where we have to be very keen and spiritually sensitive to the things that are happening in the world. And I saw no text as rich as Numbers 22 in explaining my conviction. We are struggling, some of us are struggling to hear God, to receive visions from God, or some which are coming, we are not able to discern whether these visions or voices are of God or they are from another source. 
I mean the devil. I always tell people that Satan speaks most where he discerns that God has spoken or is speaking. Those of you who sometimes have gone through challenges, especially when you're in a season of fasting and prayer, and then you realize that's when you had the biggest attacks on your life. I don't know if some of you have noticed it. You go through attacks in your mind, some thoughts come, your body goes out of line, things start misbehaving in your life in the very time where you are consecrating yourself to hear God. That's not new. When Jesus went to the wilderness, as he started to hear God on the next phase of his life and ministry, the devil appeared with temptation. So it's not a new thing. Satan wants to speak most where he designs that God is communicating to you. So every time you get into those attacks, always know that you are so close to the voice of God and the clarity of purpose. Lean in, don't draw back. Hallelujah. So in such circumstances that many of us have found ourselves in, we have, or I have discovered that many of us incline, some of us incline, let me use the word some, of us incline to what the devil is saying than what God is speaking. Remember this fellow, he's cunning and he's crafty. He's cunning and he is crafty. He's subtle. The Bible calls him subtle. He knows how to use his intelligence to trick you into deception. Subtility. Paul says, now I fear, least by any means. Okay? When he uses the word means, it means there are many ways that Satan can deceive you. As he beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Satan every other day has new tricks, new ways of deceiving and misleading the saints. And today I want to show you one. Or at least for me, the core of his deceptions. In Numbers 22, we're taken to a story where the children of Israel are set forward after leaving Egypt and they go kingdom upon kingdom, meeting different kingdoms and having war with some of them, the Amalek and the Amorites and many others. So in one of those days, verses 1 tells us they pitched in the plains of Moab in the side of Jordan by Jericho. Please allow me to use the amplified version. So, the king of Moab senses that the children of Israel had come and he had heard that these people had defeated the Amorites. So the son of Zippor, which was the king of Moab, called Balak, was terrified of these Israelites. The Bible says he was full of dread for them because they were many. He was distressed and overcome with fear. So he calls the elders of Midian and provokes them and says, will this multitude lick up all that is around about us as the ox licks up the grass of the field? So Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of the Moabites at that time, knew 
that this battle could not be solved from the physical realm. He needed a metaphysical world. He understood as men of old, renowned knew, ancient wisdom, that battles are not fought in one realm only. Battles are fought in two realms. He knew it. The Bible speaks of a story in the book of Judges where there was a war, the kings were fighting, the kings of Canaan in Tinash by the waters of Megiddo against Sisera. The Bible says they took no gain of money. There's a message there as well. Why they did not take the gain of money. So they fought from heaven. The Bible says the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. They were fighting a physical war and as they were fighting against each other, they realized that this war could not be defeated in the physical realm. So what they did, they ascended and put a spiritual force as well as Sisera's troops and they started fighting. And when Sisera's group was defeated in the spirit, the Bible says, a woman comes and smote Sisera. She cut off his head after having pierced through his temples. So the war physical ended in the death of Sisera, but the war spiritual, these guys were fighting in the spirit. When the battle was fought in the spirit and Sisera was defeated in the spirit, the physical connotation took its play and a woman smote off the head of Sisera. In other words, the battle had to begin from the spirit, defeat Sisera from the spirit, and then have a physical battle in which he was defeated. Because if you are defeated in the spirit, there is nothing you can do in the physical. If you have lost your battle in the spirit realm, there is nothing you can wage to win in the physical realm. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our war. Some of the people you meet and they're speaking to you and speaking, you know, all this uh, aggression to you and you speaking back at them. You are not fighting them at that level. When you learn the wisdom of ascending, it will be amazing how you will deal with some of these people. It will be amazing. One time back in my university day, we had gone to preach somewhere and a man finds us preaching to his wife and he comes to beat us. Very aggressive. And in the spirit, I saw that this was not him. If I was carnal, I would have also flexed my muscle to also define my defense against the man which wanted to fight us. But I sensed, and so he swung a fist on one of my friends who fled. And when he turned to swing at me, I screamed and said, in the name of Jesus, when I said that, the power of God threw him about six or seven feet away. And so I knew that this fellow I was fighting with 
It was not a physical fight. It was under the influence of demonic activity. These people always knew that if you're fighting with something in the physical and you can't fix it, understand how the spiritual world works and you'll fix it. So it's the same thing with this man. He knew that the war he had with the children of Israel was not on the success of their armies or the art of war or warcraft that they had designed. These people were years of slavery in Egypt. They had not lived a life long to know how to fight. This was some other spiritual power. So he said, let me look for somebody else to come through for me. He looked for a man who was spiritual. He sent messengers to a man called Balaam. If you read the Amplified Version, the Bible says, a foreteller of events, the son of Beor at Petal. Now Balaam was a prophet, but Balak knew Balaam as a foreteller. He knew Balaam as a diviner. They related with him as a diviner. And there are prophets today who, even though they are called in the office of the prophet, they are acting as diviners to the fallen world. That's for the mature. Not many of you have gotten it. Because it takes so much wisdom to discern the difference between one prophesying as the oracle of God and one prophesying for the purposes of divination to earn. Because if you go back in the book of Acts and look at one of the characteristics of the spirits of divination, you studied a girl in the book of Acts who had the spirit of divination. The Bible says this woman brought her master's much gain through soothsaying. The spirit of divination will always require some sort of reward. It will always require some sort of recompense. It will always require some sort of payment for it to prophesy. Are you following what I'm saying? That is why when I was it Naaman who comes to Elisha, the prophet, you remember that time? He comes with the gifts of divination because he expects that this is a foreteller. Back in the day, they had not yet separated the prophets of God from diviners. And that's why Elisha rejected the gift of Naaman and his servant Gehazi went after that gift and the scriptures tell us he was stricken with leprosy. Leprosy is a disease that means rebelling against divine order. The first person we see in scripture being stricken with leprosy was Miriam as she had started to oppose the authority, prophetic authority of Moses over Israel. So we know wherever you read leprosy, especially the Old Testament dispensation, you're talking about rebellion. This is important. There are characteristics of divination. If I had time, I would probably teach that. One of them is money. When you are around a prophetic spirit that desires a certain payment, a certain sum, a certain reward for its prophecy, you cannot meet the prophet until you pay this much money. If you pay this much, the prophet will take you for lunch. If you pay this much, the prophet will give you his shoe. 
when you put on that shoe, your life will change. If you pay this much, the prophet will give you this artifact. And if you go and put it in your house, everything will change. Freely have we received, the Bible says, freely do we give. There is no office in the kingdom of heaven that requires a pay to operate under divine purpose. Somebody hears you say this, and tomorrow you hear that out of desperacy, they still went to inquire and they paid this much money to profit. And they can't give that kind of money to churches or ministries that are preaching the truth. That shows the extent of your lust. But I'll come to that a bit later. Because many of you, or some of you who have done this, whatever you have been robbed of by the diviners has never or does not equate to how much you have ever given God freely. That shows your heart. Okay? Praise the Lord. So, he sends his messengers for a diviner. And this fellow, he lived by the Euphrates River. Balak, through his messengers, says to Balaam, listen, there is a people that has come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they have settled down and dwell opposite me. Now, come, I beg you, cast these people for me, for they are too powerful for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you cast is cast. The elders of Moab and Midian, when they were sent, departed with the rewards of foretelling. The KJV calls them the rewards of DV nation. Are you following it now? And went with them in their hands and came to Balaam and told him the words of Balak. So he tells them, you know what? Lord, here tonight, I'm going to seek the face of God and tomorrow I'll tell you what his word says. Verses 9, God comes to Balaam in his sleep in the night, I believe, and said to him, what men are these with you? God is asking Balaam, listen to this question. Which men are these with you? Who are these men? Now, think with me. Think for a moment. Does God not know these men? Is God asking this kind of question to Balaam because he does not know who these men are? Or he is trying to communicate to Balaam something very intricate concerning purpose. Who are these men? The next answer Balaam should have said would have been, I do not know who they are, but they came seeking this. But instead, Balaam does not answer the question of who these men are. He answers God what these men want. And this is what he says. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me saying, who are these men? Who are these men? He's asking about the messengers. Who are they? Then he says, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, behold the people who came out of Egypt cover the face of the earth. Come now, cast them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. Don't go with these men, regardless of for what purposes they come. I don't care what purposes they come for. Do not go with them. 
and he gives him the end of the matter. You shall not curse the people of Israel for they are blessed. This was not new. The council settled here. The council of God settled here. He took Balaam to the end of things and told him exactly what should transpire. So I'm not interested in what reason they come for. Who are they? You have not answered. No, don't go there. Balaam calls these men up in the morning and tells them, go back to your own land for the Lord refuses me to go with you. So the princes of Moab rose up and went back to Balak and said to him, Balaam has refused. Listen to the next line. The Bible tells us, I think it is verses 15. This time Balak sent princes. The other time they were simply elders. They were elders. This time he says, let the princess go. And listen to the message. It comes with a reward. He says he sent princes to them more of honorable, sorry, than the first ones. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, son of Zippor, I beg you, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will, verse 17, promote you to a very great honor. I will do whatever you tell me. Listen to that liberty. I will do whatever you tell me. Listen to that. That's an open chair. So come, I beg you, cast these people for me. Balaam answered the servants of Balak. If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. You'd have expected that that story had ended there. Verses 19, he tells them, now therefore I pray you tarry here again tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. What more would the Lord say beyond no? Are you following what I'm saying? Now here is the controversy of controversies for those who have not yet known the way nor the heart of God. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise up and go with them, but still only what I tell you may you do. God has said, yes. God has said, yes. Verses 21, Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went to the princess of Moab. Verses 22, hear the controversy. God's anger was kindled because he went. Are you seeing it? So the prophet is saying, you say, I go. But the next line says, God is angry that I go. What a contradiction of his word. Ah, no, it's not contradiction. It's the fact that Balaam did not examine the heart of God in the matter. He was responding to the demand of Balak and the reward of divination. That's why later in the book of Revelation, he calls it a doctrine of Balaam. 
who told Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. There's another story there. Because when he discovered that he could not cast them, God cannot cast whom the Lord blesses. He said, but I can teach you how to seduce them into rebellion. So because of their sin, they will receive a curse. Why would the prophet go that far? He wanted his reward. Interesting in the book of Revelation, now this is to mature, this is a mature text, not many of you are able to design this. It becomes a doctrine of Balaam, it's a teaching, right? It shifts from a prophecy to a teaching. He taught Balak how to put a stumbling block on the children of Israel by causing them to eat things, sacrifice unto idols and commit fornication. You see? But you see where it comes from? He wanted his pay at any cost and God knew the heart of Balaam, that he was a man who wanted a pay. So let's go back from the beginning. Who are these men? Oh, Balak sent them. Who are they? He should have said, I don't know them. No, Balak sent them. That they are enemies that are coming, they've covered the earth, and now they want to come here, and so we want Balaam to come and help us cast them. So, so he reports to God. They want me to go and cast them. God tells him, no. More honorable messengers come, princes, and God comes back to him and tells him, go. That means God has examined the heart of the prophet and realized he will go anyway. So if he has chosen the permissive will, at least let me tell him what he should say. He tells him, don't do anything except what I've told you, but I know it's in your heart, it's made up to go. When we're growing up, and I believe many of you understand this, there's an age, and I believe psychologists have said this, clinical and otherwise, I have heard, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that by the age five, a child should be able to understand sarcasm. A child should be able to understand irony. To pick within the sentences what you're really saying, even if you're saying something. As direct as it should be said. And I believe I remember that time in, in my age where I would tell mom and say, Mom, I want to go outside and play today with my friends. And she would simply say, Go. <laughs> Who has understood it? Does that mean she means go? Huh? Does that mean she means go? Go. Then there's a, um, let me use the word that I think fits well. A fool goes. So they come back and then you face the eternal wrath <laughs> of your parent. So now there's a kid whose brain is saying, but she told me to go. Why is she beating me? Same thing here. The contradiction of contradictions takes great maturity to discern the heart of God and what he is saying behind what you think he's saying according to your level of revelation concerning his person. 
This is the exact conundrum we find this man of God in, in text. When I was younger, we had a neighbor who lived, they used to live behind our house. As a lady, old lady, she raised her grandchildren with her. Some of his children, their parents were not there, so she raised them. And I remember one of our childhood friends, they used to have bantams and altercations with the grandmother every now and then. They used to fight a lot. You'd hear, poop, 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 but they're always beating him. So one of those days, the grandmother wants to beat him. So she gets a cane and tells this guy, lie down, I'm going to beat you. The guy refuses. They hold him, try to pull him down on the ground. He says, no. So the grandmother is like, hey, so it appears that you have matured. You can't be beaten. Eh? She puts the stick there and said, sir, beat. Yeah. Now, that's an African thing. But she goes down to lie down as to get his attention to understand that I'm your grandmother. I still have authority over you. You cannot turn the order. She's trying to show him his error. So she lies down in her drama. The ninja got the stroke. <laughs> whack, whack, whack. We hear a woman screaming, they are killing me! <laughs> mm. Superstar scattered. He beat her up. He was already angry and she had allowed him. Some of you would say. No, seriously, I'm explaining this, but I tell you, not everybody in this room understands what I'm saying. There are some people who would beat their grandmother at that point. No, do not go with these people. Second messengers, God says, go. Are you seeing the heart of God here? Now, as a man of God, and one who has been chanced to hear God in such a unique way, although I don't emphasize the place of being a prophet, but there are many things that would qualify my ear and my vision. I cannot tell you how many people have walked to me and they say, God said that I should marry this man. But the yes of God is exactly the second yes that he gave Balaam. But God told me that I should enter this business. But God told me that I should go for this project. Why has it failed? God told me that I should go to the UK. It was a very clear vision. I even got the visa in such a supernatural way. Why am I failing in the United Kingdom? Why are things standing aside? Why are my children on drugs now? God told me that if I enter this city or this state, that's where my children will be raised right. But see what has come. I heard his voice. Did you hear the voice of God in truth? submitted entirely to his will and the sovereignty of his counsel over your life? Or did you hear the voice that said, I will not wrestle with your spirit. Go ahead. 
Remember the Bible says, God will not fight. He will not wrestle. He shall not strive with man. Genesis 6 verses 3. He will not strive with man for he is also flesh. God can't fight with you. He'll kill you. He will kill you. If he has to fight with you. But you see, the spirit of his essence and nature is not the kind of spirit that is aggressive to your will or choice. God does not fight your choice. Especially in the times where your lusts, your carnality, impresses against divine purpose to receive without respect or honor to God's heart in the matter because you want things a certain way. Any man that I know who has known the heart of God for years will never strive with men against their will. You'll never. And when I understood this heart of God, even I as a man of God, I cannot resist a man who insists one way, even when I know they've not had God. For some, I would take time to tell them that this is wrong, but there are some whose time I don't even waste because the Spirit would say, this is your wasting time. They are already bent to go this way and there's nothing they can do. Only the grace of God will suffice in that pattern to help them. Only his mercies would extend in the permissible, but they've chosen permissible above perfect. I once dealt with a lady who met a man which was a non-believer and we sat in a meeting for hours. She was convincing me that God has told her that this is her husband. So I tell her, yes, in all fairness, the judgments of God would require us to weigh this conviction against the infallibility, the integrity of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 says, you cannot be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness? This is the Bible's truth. So are you telling me that in this, God has exclusively ordained a law contrary to what the scripture says to provide for your lust? And she told me, Apostle Grace, you will not understand this. <laughs> so she was telling me that she understood God above my understanding, which is okay. I don't claim to know God more than anybody here. But my defense was the integrity of scripture. And she still chose to hear a God who cannot justify himself through the lines of truth and his amenities. Are you following how serious people are? How hard the heart of a man can be against God? I saw this with my eyes. I cannot tell you how many people I have met who said, God told me to enter this contract. God told me to go to the US. I heard him. 
And I wish I would tell him, what are the guiding lights of the Spirit? Is it just enough to carry your inward witness? And there are other guiding lights that affirm God's truth in this matter. Those of you who have not listened to a sermon that I preached a couple of years ago, I would recommend, please go look it up. It was conviction versus principle. Conviction versus principles. Go listen to that sermon. It will help you learn how to design the voice and the visions of the Spirit as I am teaching today. In fact, the sermon today is about designing the voices and visions of the Spirit. Because I have met people with stronger convictions than the principles God has relayed in Scripture. And I don't know how to tell them you can never be convicted beyond the principle of God. Because you say you hear God. That's a familiar spirit. There are principles that govern the way of the spirit. And you cannot say that you have had contrary. It's like, let me give you an example. Let me give you a typical example of something I've experienced. And I want you to listen to me clearly. When you go to a church, a ministry, and you say, I'm not visiting, I am submitting to this authority. That means you have had the revelation of God concerning that ministry and the man God has set to lead you. That's what you're saying. You've received the voice of instruction through the man God has set in the office and the ministry where God has told you to go and submit. That means everything that comes from that altar is designed by God for your purpose. Isn't it? Because this man or woman becomes an oracle in your life, it doesn't mean that he's going to be perfect. But he's the chosen vessel. You have a right to reject him. But God has set him for his purposes, right? Now, that man of God stands in front of the altar and says, God has told me that we are going to fast for 40 days. That's an instruction from the altar, from the house you claim you submitted to. Or God has told me we are going to give this offering to a ministry ex to help them in this. Oh, this is an instruction God has given us. You have two things. If you doubt the counsel of that man of God, the scriptures will tell you, seek an appointment with that man of God and tell him your conviction and say, man of God, and don't come imposing it because you're not his level. Come submitting it and say, I submit that you have said this, but the scriptures are saying so. What do you feel? If that man is of God and you can open the scriptures, he can be recovered and he can say, I made an error, let's correct this. He's still your man of God. He might have been wrong, but he's still your man of God. Or he can tell you the purposes for which he has done and you have understood that purpose. And then you say, ah, I think I've gotten it wrong. Because you don't claim to know everything. 
But this is what the order says. The man has offended, go to him and tell him his fault. The Bible says between thee and him alone, the two of you. Right? That's divine principle. A person doesn't go to the man of God, does not seek any redress with the leaders of the ministry, and you hear him build a group or her a group saying, for us, God has not told us that. Yet they are part of the ministry. Now let me stand to categorically or clearly tell you, if anybody has ever told you anything contrary to the instruction of that doctrine, that person is not submitted to me and neither are they under the instruction of God. That is of the devil. And anybody that sits under that seat, the Bible has warned in the Psalms, to sit in the seat of scoffers. You know, when you start scorning divine instruction, the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Because some of you say, me, I didn't say anything, but you sat in the meeting. When God is judging, you will be judged with them. You'll be judged with them. Because that's a principle. You can't be more convicted beyond the principle of the Spirit. Then somebody said, but God told me. So you ask them, did he tell you like the no he told Balaam the first time? Or the no he told Balaam the second time? Are you following what I'm saying? Don't sit around people discussing the anointing. Because you'll carry curses. Some of you won't be able to get off your back. The Bible says, if you touch his anointed, you'll not go guiltless. God is not going to change it because you think you know scripture more than him who wrote it. <laughs> the Bible says you'll not go guiltless. Or, if you don't subscribe to what the man of God has said and you're not agreeable and you can't go to him, live silently. And don't explain to everybody your reasons for living. Because you might stumble the innocent and the Bible speaks of those who stumble the innocent and the judgment that comes to them. This is scripture, not me. Because some people's destinies to God are very important. If you want to waste yours, waste it alone. But don't carry another one to your rebellion. I've had instances, for example, I'm in the meeting preaching the gospel. And by instruction of the Spirit, a man of God is releasing the anointing, flowing in the realm he knows and has function. Because when you see us demonstrating power, I want you to understand all of those things come from our spirit and relationship that we have with God. Nothing happens out of the jurisdiction of my revelation of God and my responsibility to the people that I'm praying for. Then as a man of God is praying, you hear another group of people also moving around laying hands on people. Where did you get that authority from? What do you think your hand can do that the anointing that started this can't do? Or do you think God needs the extension of your arm to deliver the man he has started delivering? You understand what I'm saying? Those of you who do those things in people's ministries, I warn you, stop. If you feel 
you are at the level of demonstrating power, you can easily go to the government of Uganda, register as a non-profit or a company limited by guarantee and go and start your shop somewhere downtown and deliver men. But don't do it under another man's cover. Don't. If a man of God releases an anointing and somebody falls under that power, Asha, do all you want, but mind your business because you don't know where it began from and where God is going with it. You didn't start it. Some of you have even qualified yourself in places where you are prophesying over people, but you're not in the level of prophesying over people's lives. Because if you went to a spiritual person to examine you, you're not even yet mature to know how to deliver a divine oracle. You, God has told me you're to marry this person. And you confuse people. They start dating each other. They confuse each other. And they crash with each other. And then you destroy families because you saw. And the one who is seeing can't even keep a marriage. Neither you married. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because no happily married person is quick to point fingers on who should marry another. They pray. And there's a wisdom to know how to submit it. Brother, I have seen this. I don't claim to be right. Pray about it. If God affirms it, good. If he doesn't, I'm sorry. I said, marry her. That's why I tell some of you, this is wisdom. This is who I am. And I believe many of you who have sat under me for some time should be. Not everybody is in the level to prophesy over your life. It's not pride. It's not pride. It's the wisdom that brings the necessary precaution to guard your spirit against the madnesses of the hour. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you should know the voice that should speak over you. Not every Tom, Dick and Harry whom, otherwise they'll kill you, you'll die. I've seen people whose lives are destroyed. I was dealing with a dear lady whose sister, a man of God walked to her and she told him a dream and he interpreted it and told her, you're going to die in three years. When I was told the dream, that's not what the dream meant because I've had people who have had the same dream, exact dream, but they are not dead in three years. This lady received it, prepared her death. The next year she was diagnosed with cancer. The third year it became stage four and she was buried on the third year as the prophet had prophesied. What happened to with long life will satisfy you. She died at 32 or 33 because she sat under somebody who thinks they can see in the spirit. Some of you, you allow every Tom, Dick and Harry to speak over your head. Stop! Stop! Somebody will destroy you. And you'll be destroyed under the cover and people will say, but they were in Fanero. Yes, but who spoke to you? Am I the one who delivered the oracle? Or any of our leaders? No. Be careful. Especially those of you who think that you're coming to ministries to add what is missing. Oh, they don't pray a lot. Listen, listen. I pray more than many of you are speaking that language. 
And the people who you think are not praying are actually praying. They just don't pray according to your fashion. If you don't agree, look for another ministry. You start a praying ministry. Show us how they pray. And let me tell you something. Some of you need a very long journey to understand what it means for God to entrust a man with lives. And the consecration that man has to go through with God. The journey we might never explain. But I tell you something. Not many of you are able to pay. But you're coming into the glories of men who have invested in the incense. And you're taking advantage of the weak of the gullible. Because they can smell something on you. And you think that by that you have authority to speak into their destinies. Start your own ministry and make it work. Don't go jumping into people's ministries. Trying to find the faults. Because you don't know what covenant these ministries have with God. Every ministry has its own covenant. And I have my instructions before the people God sent me to. If they see fruit in their lives, mind your business. Are you following what I'm saying? And this I'm not speaking only for Fanera. I'm speaking for many of you who are in different ministries who have become a problem to the Lord's saints and ministers because you don't understand how principles work. The spiritual world has an order. That's why the Bible speaks of order in the house of the Lord that men might know how to behave themselves in the house of the Lord. Why do you think the Bible says that if you're among two, three or four prophets, that's what the Bible says. If one prophesies, let the rest keep quiet. You understand? Keep quiet first. So one finishes prophecy and another can judge it. But you can't have three prophets speaking in the same house. They have to be an order. One speaks, keep quiet. Another speaks, keep quiet. Another speaks, keep quiet. But I'm in the middle of prophecy and you also prophesy. Read 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Read. He says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be comforted. One by one. So if there was one prophet on the altar prophesying, what are you doing in the back also prophesying when another prophet is speaking? That's not of the spirit. Repent. If you have a prophecy for the church, walk to the pastor and tell him, Pastor, God has showed me this. Don't stand in the congregation in the corner. Ah! No, 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 no. The spirit of the prophet is subject to that prophet. Walk to the pastor and tell him the Lord has told me this. Let him examine. If he refuses you, let God judge him against his responsibility to obey. But don't bring confusion in the house of Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? You see, one day when some of you are mature to take this, you know, I preach to the church depending on levels of maturity. You might think I'm growing deeper. No, I'm not growing deeper. You're just able to receive some things. I've always been deep. Listen, this is the truth. Listen, you know, and I'm going to say this, this is for the mature. Look at the sons of Jacob. You have a Reuben, right? And the Bible speaks of a man which was unstable. 
But being unstable can be two ways. You can be unstable because you are indifferent and cold in the spirit. You have no flame. You're not a light by purpose and pattern. You carry no vision of God. But you can also be unstable because the zeal that has come on your spirit carries no direction, no order of the spirit. You can also be unstable because you are overzealous. It's possible. So not everybody who is unstable is really cold and indifferent. Some are unstable because a lot is coming to their spirits, but they don't know how to decode, to interpret, to agitate, to submit to purpose and will for it to be directed for the good. I'll teach about it deeply one day. The Bible says about Reuben as a man who is unstable as water. But some of you don't understand this unstable water. Is it unstable because it's moving on a lake or it's being shaken by a vessel? This kind was different. Read it in the Amplified Version. He says, but unstable and boiling over like water. In the Amplified, he's called unstable and boiling over. So he has a heat. There's a certain zeal that is exciting him. And that's what's actually bringing his unstable status. He's too on fire that he carries no direction. So some of you have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. And by that you have set yourselves unstable to divine order. Yes, the convictions in your heart are of God, but you have not yet matured to put a certain order to them so they are aligned to divine pattern and purpose to benefit the body of Christ. Instead, you tear even in your flame. Only the mature have gotten this. When God told Balaam no the first time, what did he expect God to change? Who is no respecter of persons? Was it because that now more noble men had come and an offer had come to the prophet that the heart of God was going to change? Peter says, for a truth I perceive, I have the right vision of God, that God is no respecter of persons, whether the highest persons in the land or the lowest were to say something, if God has said no, it is no. But then he tells them, tarry, so I will see whether he will say no. God realizes lust has filled the heart of the prophet. Then he says, go. He expects the prophet to reflect but the prophet does not reflect. And the next morning, he saddles his donkey. And the Bible says, God was angry. His anger was kindled because he went. Now, while he went, an angel realizes that judgment has befallen the prophet. God is going to slay him. Judgment came to slay the prophet because he was out of order. Heaven had judged Balaam for death. So an angel of the Lord stands in the way as an adversary against him. He was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. The scriptures say, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hands, what was this sword for? To kill Balaam. 
the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn back into the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall on this side and a wall on that side, again. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against it. And he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right hand or the left. And this time the Bible says the donkey saw the angel and fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his stuff. You know, many of you cannot read the allegory of divine thought that the donkey here represents a beast of burden, which is the spirit of servanthood or servitude. You don't know why Jesus comes on a donkey when he's entering Jerusalem, not on a horse. Because this is the spirit of Christ and the testimony of Jesus trying to tame the madness of the prophet. But this beast has no shield. Its hands are not strong like of the donkey. It's trying to serve the prophet. And today in 2023, I have seen servants which have come as donkeys. And they are trying to serve a madness of a prophet who is sure God has said yes, but only because they do not know what really God said. And I'm going to say a very hard one again that only the mature understand. I don't know whether in human history there's ever existed a time as now, ever before, where, and I'm going to say it again, like I said, only the mature will take this. I don't know how many prophets in 2023 who have neither had the voice of God in its truth or are able to tell that these donkeys are trying to serve them. The Bible tells us when he hit this donkey in verses 28, numbers 22, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you should strike me these three times? In other words, in the judgment of the donkey, it has done nothing to the prophet. It's trying to save the prophet. But the prophet now has started war with the beast of burden. War with the apostles trying to restore. The teachers trying to restore. And the next verse said, Balaam says, because you have ridiculed and provoked me. Because the prophet sees provocation and ridicule. Shame. I wish there was a sword in my hand. Hmm. Balaam, there's a sword before you. <laughs> and you wish you had one in your hand to kill the donkey. The next verse says, the donkey said to Balaam. Now, if Balaam was African, that story would have ended there. <laughs> but you know these white people, Americans, British, uh, Irish and Dutch, these are the people who can speak with animals. Who, who, 
like a donkey can speak. He's like, wow, that's so cool. What did you say? African men. Get out of here. Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Because you see, no, 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 that's the truth. I think it's survival instincts. I think it's something embedded in the genes. It's just our thing. Have you ever seen a black man doing a program on Nat Geo, National Geographic Channel? Coming, crawling behind a crocodile saying, look how beautiful she is. I'm gonna go and I will bounce over her. It's those white folk. The, the anaconda is from here to here and the guy is coming close with a camera. <laughs> He's so beautiful. An African can even sense a snake before they see it. Their skin can start sweating like some guy here and, and their hair and they say there's, there's something for it. That's not who we're called, it's not our calling. Not Geo. A donkey spoke. Balaam must have been Caucasian. He, he told, am I not your donkey upon which you've ridden all your life? Was I ever accustomed to do so to you? And he's answering, the brother is answering, no. <laughs> Then listen to this. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Again, I repeat the sentence that I said earlier. I cannot tell you how many prophets in 2023 can see phone numbers, deaths of birth, sicknesses on people, but they don't see the angel ahead of them or are looking for a sword to smite the donkey. I don't know how many I have met or know who in the two voices, the first that said no and the one that said go, they carry no wisdom or revelation enough to discern what God meant, even though they received the voice, the counsel, but they don't know the difference between do not go or go and where the heart of God is in this matter. How many of you have understood this? So, but God said, and I hear him, and indeed you hear him. But listen to this. God opened the eyes of Balaam. The donkey was already seen. I think some of you heard the story of the tsunami that great tsunami that took place a while ago, years ago. And it's on record that two days before, animals went up the mountain and fled homes. Dogs, cats, chickens, elephants left homesteads and went up the mountain two days ago before the tsunami. While human beings stayed down in the valleys and Christians were attending lunch hours and overnights. When the tsunami hit, more animals were saved than human beings. That's just how blind we can be. By the time God can warn an animal to turn, and the greatest creation man cannot hear, if it's fallen, 
it's how far we are fallen because that's what we are seeing today in the prophetic ministry in the apostolic ministry in the teaching ministry in the pastoral ministry that's what we're seeing every day that's what we're seeing every day these are the things that worry my spirit and put me in the place of prayer not against but for the church because many people don't understand the seriousness of the order this is the order let me help you understand the order this is the order whether it's a voice you have heard or it's a vision you've received from on high it is subject and must be tested and proved against the revelation of the person of god begin firstly with the revelation of who god is and then examine the voice or the vision you claim you have received if a man carries no bearing in the revelation of the person of god it does not matter how much they have heard or said or even if god said it himself that man can receive a wrong instruction if they don't know the heart of god didn't god tell balaam to go yes but after telling balaam to go he was angry so whether it's a vision or voice even if it's from god it must be in consonance and aligned to his person his heart his counsel that is why we emphasize the place of counsel the bible says somewhere in colossians chapter 2 verses 18 he says let no man defraud you let's read the amplified again let no man defraud you by acting as an umpire some people are in the place of judging and declaring you unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize insisting on self abasement and worship of angels taking his stand on visions listen he claims read the kjv he claims he has seen somebody says but i saw and then they disqualify people become as an umpire of people make people appear unworthy because they have had a vision from god and this is why the bible says they are vainly puffed up by sensuous notions ideas that is inflated by unspiritual thoughts and fleshly consent verses 19 they are not holding fast their head from whom the entire body is applied and knit together by means of its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from god 19 verses 19 there when the bible says they hold not their head in other words they are not speaking or asserting in light to the revelation of the head which is christ because christ is the head of the body we are the body of christ and christ is the head that means they don't have a revelation of god they have no revelation of the heart of christ but they have visions they hear voices and because of that because it's not according to the revelation of god they are vainly puffed up that means these are people who are bent in pride that what they have seen and know it must be the truth they are so hard to convince otherwise because they have built sensuous notions they all the while in life they've been building ideas around the doctrines of men and the traditions of men and the wisdom of the fallen world instead of the wisdom of god
And this is what Satan has done most to us. He has sold the wisdoms of this world. And some of you parents are doing the same to your children. You've put sensuous notions and unspiritual thoughts in the hearts of your children in raising them. Because you see, one parent says to another parent, you know, don't teach children everything. Show them what is bad and show them what is good and tell them this is the good, this is the bad. Don't do this, do this. That's a wrong teaching. Newsflash. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Not in the way he should go and not go. Your business is not to tell your child about what they should and what they shouldn't. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What he did to Adam in the garden. Because he told Adam, this tree will show you what is good and what is evil. Your business is not to tell your children what is good and what is evil. Don't do this. Do this. Don't talk to men this way. Do this. No, no, no. Tell them what to do. The Bible says, I would rather have you wise unto that which is good and very simple concerning evil. But this is for the obedient. Because when you train a child in obedience, like Romans 16 verses 19 says, the first seven years of a child's life is obedience. Regardless of what you teach them, teach them to obey instruction. Come, they come. Laugh, they laugh. Stand, they stand. Clap, they clap. That's the first thing they should learn in the first seven years. Once they learn that in the first seven years of their lives, start training them what they should do because now they are obedient. Don't tell them what they shouldn't do. Don't open their eyes to forbidden wisdoms. There are things God has never designed for you to know in the beauty of his holiness. In the beauty of his holiness. Because he's a holy God. Do you know why Adam and Eve never knew they were naked? Because he never intended them to know they were naked. And that was his perfect will. But there was a being on the same earth who knew they were naked. Or who saw them naked. But God did not allow that kind of consciousness. Some of you are too thirsty and hungry to know so much. But in the knowledge of so much, you're going to destroy your lives. Especially when you are not under the right judgment of the Spirit. I was talking to a church member here who was a former Satanist, like high-level former Satanist. Former Satanist, and he denounced Satanism and became born again. And one day we are talking because I was disturbed or burdened by the testimonies I hear by some former Satanists. Some, not all. And I read the earlier books, the Emmanuel Ennies, the Rebecca Browns. I read two, three volumes of theirs. I was very curious to know. And they speak a lot of truth. But some of them, and I emphasize the word some, some of them were not grounded enough in the revelation of God to know or discern by truth what was deception when they were in that world and they carried that deception and bring it in the church as truth. Some of them, not all, are not going to point fingers. Some of them give very wonderful truths that are there to deliver us and help the church. 
And I celebrate that and we learn a lot. But there are some also who Satan has now used to disqualify the testimony of all former Satanists. Because people who read and they can search out these issues will disqualify one, two, three or four and then disqualify everybody who comes to give that testimony. Because they cannot, some of them cannot discern what was true and what was false. I'll give you an example. One Satanist was giving an example once I was hearing her testimony and she said that, yeah, Satan, someone does and was angry because two people went to heaven. Satan doesn't want to see anyone go to heaven. So that year only two people went to heaven. And I could judge that as a man of God, that that was not true. But if you were Satan or Lucifer, would you have wanted your followers to know how much powerful God is? Can you give the right number to your followers? Yet you are the father of lies. Are you following what I'm saying? If you were Lucifer, you would not do. You'll give a wrong number so you show them that you're the one who is in control. Two people. I disagree because you'd be contradicting scripture. Like one preacher once on TV said, they asked him, what of the babies who die when they are born? Do they go to hell? And he said, yes. He said, why? Because the Bible says whoever did not hear the gospel will perish. And no, 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 no. Because the preacher missed out something in scripture that explains that. The Bible says in the days of ignorance, God winked, but now he calleth all men to repent. Wherever there is ignorance, God will wink. In other words, God will not judge the child who did not have the opportunity to hear the gospel. It's not her fault or his fault that they did not hear the gospel. So then why would God take that child to hell? That would mean that I'm more, as a person, I'm more righteous than him. Because I wouldn't do that. And it's impossible. Because he's the one who gave me the righteousness to think that way. Are you following what I'm saying? This was a preacher who has a wrong stand on vision. A wrong stand on vision. So this person said it and I was like, hmm, that's not true. I can actually debate this in the integrity of scripture. But somebody says, even though the scriptures say otherwise, me, I was in hell. This is the truth. Have you seen it? Where somebody says, even though you're showing me the Bible, me, I was in hell and this is what I experienced. So they affirm the reality of what they did or had in hell than the reality of truth and the infallibility of God's word. So there's another level as well to help consecrate or help some understand says that their testimony becomes more effective because Satan now has realized that if you say you're from there, everybody will hear. So I've seen also some whom Satan has started to send in unawares to destroy the church. And some of you are not mature to design this. One man said, I was a former Satanist and he started mentioning all the churches that are winning souls. I said then the devil must be so stupid to position a man to win souls every week to take to heaven that he's also destroying the church. Satan is not that stupid. Some of you are, but he's not. <laughs> Read Mark 3.26. Now I'm talking scripture. 
I'm not talking the testimony of a sister or a brother. If Satan rise against himself and be divided, he cannot stand. Even him, he knows it. How can you be rising against yourself and you're winning souls for heaven every week? But you're a devil agent. Satan is not stupid like some Christians think. <laughs> this is scripture. Are you following what I'm saying? Hey, I saw this pastor. Then I said, mm, but if this guy saw the pastor who wins most souls, mm -mm, me, I already have a problem because I know the price of one soul coming to Christ. So when the Bible says, test the spirits, there are about seven elements or seven principles by which you can, or seven or eight principles by which you can test the spirit. I'll give you one common one. One common one. That I've seen people go against every day, but they still go against it. The Bible says, Hereby do we know the Spirit of God. First John chapter 4 verses 2. Hereby do we know the Spirit of God. This is John speaking. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit. This is one principle that is very clear in testing the spirits. There are about eight, but I don't have to test them today. But this is one of them. That nobody can confess that Christ is come in the flesh and they are not of God. You have a lot to prove to me that a Satanist can say this and this of, and continue saying it. And say, but you are joking. No. You're lying. No man can say this thing and they are sent by hell. Otherwise, then God is too weak that he can say, what a Satanist can't say, but the Satanist says it. You'd be meaning that God is weaker than Satan. That's what you're saying. But if God has said it, that no man, and when we talk about confessing that Christ is coming to the flesh, it's not just the speaking that Christ is coming to the flesh, but the testimony of that man's gospel must show the work of why Christ came. That's why we open altars every week to invite men to receive of what Christ came to do because he came to seek and save the lost. That is why I have a problem with any prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor who does not call men to receive the Lord of Jesus. Because that's why he came. For the Son of Man came to seek and Save the lost. That's why he comes in the flesh. So this thing of Christ is coming in the flesh, it's a very deep thought because Satan recognizes that if you can say he came in the flesh, then he fulfilled his purposes. He died and then you're going to bring back the testimony of him going in the Hades, in hell, to make a public spectacle of them all triumphing over all of them. That's why many religions or some religions in the world, when it comes to the story of Christ, they say he was not crucified. Or some, like Judaism, they don't believe that he's come in the flesh. You're following what I'm saying? So you find a man speaking that Christ is come in the flesh and they say he's wrong and he's of, of the devil. And then this same person will meet somebody in Judaism who doesn't even believe Jesus Christ came and they're a good person. Are you following what I'm saying? Let God be true and every man a liar. 
This is very clear. How do you go against this and hear a man or woman every day tell you Christ is come in the flesh, dead and raised, and he died for our sins. And you can still open your mouth and say, this woman is a fake prophetess, a fake pastor. This is a fake apostle, a fake teacher. By what authority? Oh, some guy met us and he told us that that man was with him in Nigeria and they did witchcraft. Oh, so you are going on the story of another person and ignoring what the truth says and how God has given you to discern and examine spirits? Are you following what I'm saying? There was a lady once, she came in the church. Her husband never believed in Jesus. He doubted this Balokoli. Started to see her life change. He one time came before Nero. Listen to me. Walked on the altar. Hear and receive the Lordship of Jesus. So she claims that she dreamt a dream. Now I'm going to come to this. She dreamt a dream that I was telling her, you don't belong to me. Oh, you don't belong in my church. So she left the church. And they wrote me off as a cult teacher. The next thing, one young man misleads her. The husband now reports that the wife doesn't listen to him. He packed his bags, left his home. So the devil broke her fellowship. He broke her marriage. And I'm still the wrong one. I'm still the wrong one. Who brought the husband to the saving knowledge of Jesus? What Bible do you read? Why did Jesus come? Why did he die? For the salvation of men. One day I had a dream of a very wonderful minister, very wonderful minister of God, a man who I love and I believe has been positioned by God for this dispensation. Very clear because I've judged and weighed his spirit against all the principles biblical. And I knew that I'm certain with every conviction in my being that he's a man of God. I've tested the spirit. So one of those days I dream and this man is coming from a shrine. And he's dressed like a wizard. And he's doing incantations. Now because I have judged and I know how the spirit realm works. I knew that this was an attack on my brother trying to infringe on his spiritual identity to misrepresent him to those he must save because God is using him mightily in the salvation of souls. I knew it. So I asked the Lord, why has this vision come to me? And the Lord said, because you are in the rank to pray for him. You know, I've also realized, <laughs> I've also realized that God will qualify certain people to pray for you in a certain way because they know his heart and understand him. That certain people he might not burden to pray for you because if they do, they will not pray in his counsel. Because intercession means you know the mind of God and you are interceding on behalf of another according to the mind of God. The mind of God is not a revelation. Your prayer is not enough because you could pray amiss. You follow me? So they all told me because you're mature enough and you're in this rank to pray for him. So I took off time and interceded for my dear brother to underguard him in prayer and carry the burden of what he was carrying in the spirit to make sure that his image in the spirit realm is not misrepresented. And at one point, the spirit of the Lord told me it's broken. All right? Now, 
he becomes an effective minister because these unnecessary vibrations, frequencies, and noises have been dealt with because another man was able to stand in the place. Today, somebody dreams about their neighbor. I dream Peter robbing me and immediately write him off. And I'm saying, but one, do you know the heart of God concerning this individual? Two, are they that kind of person? Can't you design their spirits and know that this is just an attack on their identity? I mean, if a man walked one time in a meeting and saw Jesus and said, this is the Prince of Beelzebub, it created a vision of Beelzebub on Christ. What about Lubega, Nathan, Rita? You understand what I'm saying? So I interceded for my brother because I knew that's not who he is. And he continues to preach the gospel strong. You see what I'm saying? Now, if I was Kano, like some people here, I would say, ha, have nothing to do with that man. And I would become an enemy. And the territories for which we were supposed to contend for their liberty, we're going to start now contending to own my own jurisdiction as he owns his. Because Satan, that's what he wanted to do. To make sure that he sets me opposed to the voice that God was raising in the generation. But I was mature enough to know. And I broke that. I broke them. So, many of us must understand the heart. That's why I say this begins with a revelation of his person. In Colossians, these people had a wrong stand on visions and started disqualifying people. Because they say they see. They started disqualifying ministries because they have, they say that they have a certain revelation. But whatever revelation or vision or voice that comes to you, if it is not consistent with scripture, that is not of God. Doesn't matter how much you sugarcoat it and how beautiful you present it under any song, it's not of God. As some of us have gone past that level. The Bible says, do not bring an accusation on an elder said by two or three witnesses. Do not rebuke an elder. Entreat him. Even if you have a problem with them, know how to speak to them. Then somebody says, I was moved by holy anger and I spoke to the elder disrespectfully because I'm convicted. That's not God. Was it who Paul who insulted one chief priest and then they slapped him and they told him, this is the high priest. And he says, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Because he knew he was out of order, even as an apostle. Are you following what I'm saying? Even as an apostle, he was out of order. But if the Bible says, do not bring a testimony against an elder without two or three witnesses. I mean, if you hear something about Pastor Zach, hear it two or three, then bring it through the right channels. Some of you, you just need to hear once. You don't even need to hear. You just need to imagine. <laughs> and the minister is already in trouble. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Mature. Some of you must mature. Because where we're going, more deception is coming. This has always to settle in the identity of God and his heart. Examine everything in the identity of God and his heart. There was a minister who fell so hard and the Lord showed me that he had actually fallen. He gave me several visions that this man was fallen. 
Then I asked God, why do you still use him this way? And God told me, because I know his heart. Three years, I've been praying for the same man. Three years. I've been praying for the same man for three years. Three. I don't judge him. Because I saw a man who went to God every night telling God, help me. Help me. Help me. He's still broken before God. Some of us are like that. You're making mistakes. You've made mistakes, it's true, but you really honestly love God. And you really want to walk out. But there are people who don't care. They want you dead at any cost. And you will not. Because you'll a smoldering weak. The Bible says he shall not work. Again, the counsel of God comes clear. You see what I'm saying? A bruised reed shall he not break till he send forth judgment into destruction? No. Victory. His heart is to save men, not to kill them. Not to kill them. That is why I think that the most fundamental instruction of the church besides our gifts and offices especially ministers who are watching me, let's invest in defining God and his heart. Otherwise, we will be sure he spoke what he didn't speak. Or we will be sure he didn't speak what he spoke. Be more prayerful when designing issues, not emotional. Because there is a cost to every decision you make against one who Christ died for. Be very, 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 very prayerful. Because some of you in heaven, you're going to reach heaven. And you'll be shocked that the people you thought will be there were not there. And the people you thought are not there will be standing next to the Son of God. Watch what's going to happen in heaven. We'll be shocked. Will be shocked. So some of you, we've seen things that are not you, and I can separate and no, no, this is not this person. You pray for them, and tomorrow you realize it was just the devil trying to destroy this person's destiny. Are you following what I'm saying? It's just the, the devil trying to destroy. Them. This is not who they are, and if they are true, their heart will be revealed. You also should know how to pray for them. But this is what I dread most and I'm trying to warn you of. That I never hear God tell me no. And then I hear him say yes. And I move at his yes. And his anger is kindled. Because that means then I never understood his heart. So that's our prayer this afternoon. I think that's the prayer Paul made. That I may know him. There is somebody who says, God, give me deeper visions. 
give me a deeper vision. I want to launch deeper in seeing in the spirit. No. Your prayer should be give me a greater vision of yourself. God launched me deeper in being a Moshe prophet or an apostle. I want the anointing of revelation. No. Ask that you might have a deeper revelation of him and his heart. Because let me tell you something. I've said this for more than five years now. God uses us according to our hearts. My son, give me your heart. Bible says, I the Lord try the heart and test the reins to give to every man according to his doings. I give you according to your heart. Anything you feel you have not yet reached is the place of your heart. Not your pastor, not that man, God, that woman of God, that prophet. No, it's not the prophet. No, no. It's the state of your heart. Open your mouth and speak to Jesus. This is the kind of prayer, listen, that is personal. Don't pray for your neighbor or your cousin. Now, now. No. This is a place where you pray a personal prayer. As we seek your face, may we know your heart. Feel your presence, acceptance, as we seek your face. Move among us now, come reveal Speak to him, speak to him. Show your presence. Accept. Move among us now. At your feet. Before. Mess and I, we cry, oh, 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 I 
pray for us, including myself. We cannot know him enough. So my heart's prayer for us all is that may we be launched deeper and in greater places of his person. I pray for you listening to me that may God help you see and understand him deeper and greater. Now, I also notice that in my spirit, I see God mantle people with visions and messages for our time, for the purposes of establishing the church in the truth they should go in the end time. That kind of person, right now the power of God is coming upon you in the mighty name of Jesus. Power of the Holy Ghost! I feel in my spirit that God is consecrating us apostles, as prophets, as teachers, as evangelists. This is in every level, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a business person, a career woman, a student, wherever you are, God has blessed you. I feel that there's a consecration. This is a season where we are seeing God and experiencing Him more than ever before. And I cannot tell you how thrilled and humbled I am to receive of what God is releasing. But I feel God is releasing graces upon graces, anointings upon anointings, power upon power, assignments upon assignments, glory upon glory understanding upon understanding i believe that we are entering a season and time where people will know god in such a way like has never been seen in human history somebody receive it in the name of jesus receive it in the name of jesus and if you're here and you found yourself under the wrong conversations spoken and said things you ought not to speak about the lord's servants God forgive you and help you in the name of Jesus Christ. I also come against every familiar spirits that has been working in some individuals to prophesy, to say things or accuse things that are wrong. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I decree and I declare that familiar spirits have no place here in the name of Jesus. Those of you who are here and you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly 
tea fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.